Well, good morning. Uh, this is episode 16 of the Morning Brushback. I am your co-host, Dan Blewett. I'm here with Bobby Stevens, uh, remotely from the snowy tundra that is Chicago. Bob, how you doing? Uh, it's freezing here. I'm doing good. Man, and we have an awesome guest today. We are joined here uh, remotely also from Arizona, uh, Chris Carmanucci, scout from the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks. Chris, thanks for joining us. Good morning, guys. Good to be here. Good morning. So you're not on Mountain Time. You are on Pacific Time. Yeah, it would it would be nice to know what time zone I'm on, but it changes here in Arizona sometimes, and uh, we figured it out. <laughs> well, we were talking off camera about the daylight savings, and I'm super jealous that you guys don't have to do this nonsense of having like zero sunlight in the evening all year. You guys get to just one time zone. That's amazing. Yeah, I will never complain about Arizona in general. Being an East Coast guy for most of my life, and uh, you know, having it get dark at four o'clock in the afternoon was never fun. You know, so I'm I'm good here. Yeah. And so where did you grow up, Chris? I grew up in Westchester County, New York, um, which is about 50 minutes outside of Manhattan and uh, played at John Jay High School there in uh, Cross River, New York. And uh, I was one of these people that while I love going back to visit Manhattan and, uh, you know, get some really good food. Other than that, I don't go back to New York a whole lot, you know, so, yeah. other than to visit family as well. Yeah. So uh, it was it was good to uh, you know get out and get some good weather. As, as players, you know, we all want to be in the best weather possible to be able to have our bodies feel good. And, and, you know, for me, it was, you know, going down south to Georgia and going to college. Yeah. And so as a scout for the D-backs, it probably just makes sense that your home base is near your spring training facilities and all that stuff. Absolutely. You know, with, with having three kids and a wife and having to travel as much as I still do, it's nice to be able to get, you know, uh, many more days in my own bed at home. Yeah. Do you consider all the scorpions that like live in your shoes? Do you consider them part of your family? <laughs> you know, what's funny about it. I've never seen a scorpion. Okay. What? I've never, you know, uh, what? We, no way. we, we live, um, uh, really, uh, close to our complex and we're kind of in a, a you know, a family, uh, or I should say a, a more, um, urban setting here. And, and so, you know, we don't really, we have, I've seen two snakes and that was while I was hiking, but never a scorpion. That's baffling. I thought they were like, they're like ants essentially out there. They're just like everywhere. That's apparently they are, but I'm scared to death of seeing one. So I'm glad I haven't. Oh man. Oh man. Well, at least you got the snakes in. I mean, what other stuff is down there? There's obviously cacti, which do you like, do you prefer the word cacti or can we just change it to cactuses? Where do you fall on this issue? This is an important issue. Well, we talk about all the time when, when I say cacti to my daughters, they yell at me. They say, what is that? You know, and I'm like, it's a cactus. You know, And they, we say cactus for sure. Yes. OK, because I some of those words where we have to pluralize them, like it just it just feels forced and awkward. And I don't want to ever say cacti. I want to say cactuses. Let's just say look at all those cool cactuses and we're good. And that's Arizona yep. in a nutshell. But I'm with you, man. Right there with you. So for those of you listening, uh, Chris is also an author. Um, I'm actually reading his book on, on Kindle now. It's uh, Let me pull it up. Um, it's all about independent league baseball, which is Chris was a independent league scout for a long time. You still do a little bit of that, but you're kind of transitioning now in your scouting career. Um, and it's called Sign Me. So tell us a little bit about your book. Well, you know, I, I, I got uh, I kind of wrote it out of frustration because I kind of got sick and tired of uh, not enough people giving the independent leagues. It's it's just due. Um, I would get calls every year from college coaches. And um, and by the way, before I forget, I see you had Eddie Blankmeyer on a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And Eddie, I work for Eddie at St. John's. Yeah, I 2004, was, uh, right? Yep, I was his coach there and uh, loved every minute. He's one of the greatest human beings alive, as far as I'm considered. But uh, but you know, I started talking to more and more 
college coaches and, and they just didn't know enough about independent league baseball to be able to give their undrafted players any advice. Yeah. And, you know, to, to the point where some colleges were like, you know, oh, don't go play independent baseball. I, I don't I don't know if that's the right uh, you know vehicle to be able to get to where you want. And I think that is the stupidest thing that I've ever heard in my life because I, I, I am a huge, huge fan of, of what independent league baseball can bring to the table in general, just from a playing standpoint and experience standpoint, but not only as a vehicle to be able to get you to the big leagues. And I, I started just writing it and I said, you know, hopefully this is going to help educate some players some college coaches, some, uh, you know, just even youth league coaches to know that there's other options if you do not get drafted. There's other ways to get to the big leagues or even to get to pro ball other than the normal, you know, route and stream. So, you know, I, I wrote it and it ended up being a pretty big hit. And I was blessed that it ended up uh, being as popular as it was because I, I you know, I, I really poured my heart and soul into it. And, and some of it was a little in your face to people that, mm-hmm. you know, d- didn't under because it, it, to be blunt, it pissed me off that, you know, they, they weren't giving it its just due. It is a great form of baseball. Um, you know, it, it is a great um, uh, way to be able to get your feet wet in pro ball, no matter if you're a released player from a major league organization or you're an undrafted college uh, free agent, you know, and, and, and I, I just I wanted people to know more about it. Yeah. So um, let's back up a little bit because I, I mean, obviously, this is something I'm passionate about as a career indie lifer who has that chip on his shoulder. Because people when you say like, hey, I was a pro player, but it was I was an independent league player. People think that you're just. You know, you played in like the dumpster league and they say a semi pro. Yeah, there's yeah. here's semi pro all the time. Well, that's also an interesting conversation, uh, maybe for later, the philosophy of uh, what professional um, is. But um, Chris, can you define independent baseball for people that that don't know? You know, independent baseball in a nutshell is a form of professional baseball that is not owned or operated by Major League Baseball. It has independent owners. Um, these players are purchased by the Major League teams like the Diamondbacks and you know, put into our system when we either have a need or, for, in our case, we look for when we have a need, but also for when we find a player that's better than what we currently have. We're always looking to upgrade. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, yes, there are better players in uh, uh, independent leagues to be able to pop into our system that are better than what we currently have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always get asked, you know, what the level of uh, independent league baseball is in general. And I, I think you guys you know, know better than anybody that it's whoever's on the mound that night, you know, it could yeah. re- really dictates that level. You know, it could be triple A. It could be rookie league, you know, depending on where you are. It just it just depends on who that pitcher is and, you know, how much experience in general those players have. I mean, I've seen Frontier League games that are every bit as good as double AA, A, triple A. I've also seen uh, American Association same way and Atlantic League, obviously, same way. But I've also seen it on a night where it's much lower than that. So, yeah. you know, you, you just have to when you're scouting, you just have to be open minded. And I, and I think that's what just to get back to the book for a minute, I think that was one of the things in the book that I was trying to get across. Guys, just be open-minded about it. Utilize this. It's there. It's fantastic. Stop judging it, and let's let's get to work on utilizing it. Yeah, yeah it's hard wanna... to... Go ahead, Bob. I was going to say, it's hard It's hard to explain to people when they ask you, like, oh, what is that? It's, it's like, because Dan and I both play in the Atlantic League, and then we're, I help out American Association team in Chicago, and that's, you know, Frontier League American Association is Midwest. That's a lot of a Midwest... Uh, People know some of those teams. It's hard to, you know, how do you how do you explain to these guys like, look, it's it's good baseball. It's it's not 
semi-pro men's league. Like we play every day, you get paid. These some of these guys will get picked up to affiliate a ball. Uh, it's not it's not what you think that you know the guy you played in high school with is doing on Sunday mornings at his local high school. And you know these yeah. jobs for coaches and even players are coming you know even even more highly sought. And I'll, I'll say this: I get asked by you know AAA managers all the time across any organization. Hey, I'd like to go into the independent leagues and manage and or coach. And you know that's um first of all, it's hard to get your foot in the door if you if you've never done it before. People don't realize that. Second of all, they want to be able to finally make out their own lineups. Uh, yeah. It's not necessarily only about development; it's about winning. Which you know I believe in, in winning as a vehicle to develop. And Absolutely. you know I. I, I I've had so many players that I've signed over the years that said, you know, I got released out of an organization. I went to independent ball and I found myself. I learned how to win. I learned how to be able to be a better teammate. I, I fixed some of the, the warts I had on me, you know, from before. And, you know, we've all had warts as younger uh, players and all that. And independent league exposes it. And, you know, there's nobody, nobody's better than the other person. You got to get out there and you got to, you know, you know, improve on it and try to get out like everybody else wants to. Yeah, I mean, speaking to the the level part, you know, when I was in spring training with Somerset, the Somerset Patriots are in the Atlantic League, which is like the highest independent league. And that whole lineup, like I kind of knew in spring training, like, uh oh, this doesn't I don't stack up super well here because it was like big leaguer, big leaguer, big leaguer, triple A, triple A, triple A, triple A. And so, like you said, it really forces you to sink or swim. And, you know, you can potentially make that team. But there was a moment in that spring training where I was in line to throw my bullpen and I was watching like two former big leaguers and a bunch of AAA guys go in front of me and watched how they threw their bullpens. And I was like, I've never thrown a bullpen like that. And I immediately was like, I have to throw a bullpen like that right now. Yep. And it forced me mentally. I was like, and what I basically what it was is, you know, as a kid, you hear your whole life, oh, be down the zone, be down the zone. I always succeeded up in the zone. And that was something that I found out about myself as a player. But at the same time, when you're showcasing yourself, as was the case there, like every one of these guys, they were just destroying right below the kneecap in the strike zone. Just like they were never up in the zone, the bullpen, because they had command that I didn't have. And I'm like, I have to be able to do that right now. Or I'm going to be cut. And so you get into that that mentality where it's like, oh, it's not like I'm, I'm in college and I'll get them next year. It's like, I got to do this now. And to your point about winning is development. I threw one of the best bullpens of my life right there because I had to. And I, I was like so mentally focused on this ball has to go to the kneecap and the next pitch has to go to the kneecap and the next curveball has to go to the kneecap or I'm just going to look, I'm going to expose myself as not good enough to play here. And that's, that's where, you know, I, I think, and I'd like to hear your opinion about this, but a lot of kids are training today. They think they're being pitchers training, just like throwing balls into nets and all this. And, and that has their place at some points. But if you don't get out on the mound and find yourself in situations like that, either where you have to win actual game or do something like that, then you you don't get that, like, I'm transforming as a player. I mean, how do you find young players are training today? Do you feel like they're missing some of that component? Well, you, you get a, absolutely to answer your question, and you get a lot of showcase players now, guys that don't know how to carry that pitch ability or that ability to, to you know, hit a curveball or, or, or stay back on a changeup in a game. They mm -hmm. know how to do it in a showcase format. But, you know, I think that's one of the things and I was just talking on a podcast yesterday about this. I, there is no substitute for game play, you know, and obviously what we're going through right now and, you know, what Major League Baseball is going to look like and what minor league baseball is going to look like moving forward. You know, I'm a little concerned about our inability to throw players 
into game situations because that's how they get better. And yeah. to your point, they get better by seeing other more experienced guys also do it and then trying to apply that, you know. And, you know, when, when I look at what we're going to be doing going forward and, and you know, if, if it's complex baseball or, or what have you, you know, I want to see what these guys can also do when they're screaming fans in their ear. You know, yeah. we've all been there. You know, my knees were knocking the first time I, I hit in front of it was probably 300 people. But, you know, now, now they're it's a little bit of a different formula when you're looking at a player and he's not in the pressure uh, or in the spotlight. You got to play to get better. And, you know, we as much playing as we can give these guys, the better. Yeah, that's a really good point, Chris. And uh, the the one the thing I always tell people about independent ball when they ask me about, you know, you play affiliated, you play independent. I said independent ball was probably the first time in professional baseball I ever felt like I could utilize like my a lot of my strengths as a baseball player and a, as a winning baseball player because it was the first time in pro ball that I felt you could you played to win the game as opposed to playing to you know for further your development or you need it like not that affiliated ball isn't you're not trying to win you're trying to win we're all trying to win but it felt it was the first time it felt like a team oriented like goal as opposed to being in you know a ball and everybody's trying individually to get to double a and it's rightfully so like that's how you get to where you want to go you know and then you go to independent ball and it's look we need guys to make it like we're building a roster to win a championship we're not we don't you know it's if you get signed out of independent ball it's a bonus for the for the organization that you were with and it was just a different mindset altogether going into the season yeah Chris, um, I want to shift gears a little bit because there's some news on the independent circuit, which I'm sure you heard, which is that Sugarland and St. Paul are potentially going to become affiliated teams. Do you hear that? Yes, I have. Yeah. And, you know, I've been following it closely and you know, I've talked with the commissioner's office a few times and just, you know, um, it, th- things are realigning and things are fluid right now, you know, and I think this whole idea that there's going to be less affiliated teams only feeds into the fact that independent baseball is going to become more and more important, you know, and, you know, quite frankly, I mentioned it to you before, you know, with Cash Beecham, who is our independent league scout, who is so important to us because he's the guy on the ground going to see all these guys feeding us information. And then once we, we decide we like a player, I'll go in and see him kind of cross check it or we'll just sign him. But it becomes more and more important to be able to, to have our feet on the ground, have our boots on the ground and be seeing all these teams because it's going to, it's really going to change. I mean, you're not going to have 40 rounds anymore going forward. You're going to have a lot less and, you know, we're going to have to be able to utilize these independent leagues. And let's face it, you know, as you guys know, independent baseball is a lot about the relationships with the teams and the managers and the scouts and the, the affiliated um, uh, front office. It, that's how things get done. So those relationships are going to need to be fostered more. And, and I'm going to say this, you know, right now, and I say it publicly every chance I get. Any major league team that does not um, uh, at least uh, take a look and scout the independent leagues and you know give them their due, they're idiots. Okay, they are absolute idiots. And I have heard all the time, you know, different teams. Oh, we're not going to bother with that. You know, we're not going to do that. You know, and and. Thankfully, it's not a lot of teams anymore, but those few teams that don't go and, and look at those players, they're going to be left in the dust. And I can't wait to you know, be the voice in the background when I see my friends on these other teams saying, see, you guys lost out because you're not there, you know, and, and you've got to get your boots on the ground and you've got to be able to identify talent because it's there. You're just being lazy and not utilizing it. 
Yeah, we'll speak on that a little bit. So there's a, been a lot of guys that have made it either back to the big leagues, like uh, Scott Casimir was a great example. But also, who are some of the guys that you found? Because I know the D-backs had some success, and that was you know in large part because of you. But t- tell me some of the guys that had their like big league story because of independent ball. Well, you know, the most notable one is David Peralta. Okay, uh, I signed David um, back in 2013 in the American Association, and um, you know he he was uh, playing for Bobby Brown. And um, uh, we needed a uh, kind of a, an interesting story. We we were looking to fill some roster spots and um, uh, I had some other guys in mind, but I got a call from David who said this was about two weeks before the start of the uh, American Association season. And he said, hey, um, I, I'm really looking to sign. Uh, I, I, you know, I have a desire to get he was a, a left handed pitcher when he started out with the St. Louis Cardinals, got hurt and got released. He said, I'm really looking to get back in, but I'm a hitter now. And I, you know, he was just, he seemed like a really good, well-spoken guy. Mm-hmm. And I said, where do you live? And he said, I live in Florida. I said, well, shoot, I'm going to be in Florida anyway. Why don't I work out? And uh, I happened to be going down there for Nick Belmonte's workout that he does every year down there. And I was going to scout that event. So I went down and lo and behold, I work out David and I love him. A left-handed, pretty swing, um, super, super human being. You know, you know, makeup becomes really, really important when it comes to a guy coming out of independent baseball because yeah. most of the time you're throwing him into the fire. You got to make sure that you've got a good human being. And David was an 80 human being. You know, so I know there was no issues with that. The issue was was that as soon as I really liked him, we didn't have that spot left anymore. Somebody came off the DL and we didn't have a spot anymore. So I said, "Hey, David, go start the season in independent baseball." Stay in touch with me, and you know, hopefully, sometime soon, we'll be able to sign you and and bring you in. And you know, one of the things we don't do is we don't sign a player and not give them a fair opportunity. You know, people may say, "Well, why didn't you sign him and stick him somewhere?" You know, for me, I'd rather see him go to independent baseball and play every day. Yeah. I don't want to sign a guy and then have him sit around and get stagnant. And that, that just that ruins. That, first of all, that destroys a player's psyche. And and you know, I, I I I'm not about that. I'm about getting him in, getting him going, and and you know, giving him a fair shake. So anyway, so I said, David, go back, play, but stay in touch with me. And David literally called me like every other day. You know, hey, you got that spot open yet? You got that spot open yet? He texts me and all that stuff. He was just so hungry. Well, lo and behold, spot opens up. We sent him to Visalia, high A ball. He's 23 years old, and uh, he tears it up. The rest of the season, he tears it up. The next year, he comes back. He goes to double A. My boss at the time, uh, Tony LaRussa, happened to be in Mobile, our double A team. And saw him and goes, wow, this guy can really swing it. Such a pretty left-handed swing. Um, you know, let's um, uh, let's really keep our eye on this guy. Well, the next day, Pollock go, AJ Pollock goes down with a wrist injury for the rest of the season. And Tony goes, well, we're going to bring up David Peralta. Well, that was eight years ago. You know, David mm-hmm. came up, hits 30 home runs in the big leagues. Um, uh, you know, just signed a, a new three-year, $27 million deal. And you know, we have one of the best left fielders in baseball that came out of the independent leagues. You know, we, we, we signed him for $3,000. And, you know, here we have a guy that, you know, people would have died to have a, as a first-round draft pick. Yeah. And, you know, so, you know, stories like that, you know, we also have Ildemaro Vargas on our um, major league roster. I signed out of the Atlantic League. He was in Bridgeport, and um, uh, back when Bridgeport had a team. Really, really and, sticking uh, it out if you're in Bridgeport. You know he's you hungry if you're in Bridgeport. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, by the way, when I was signing him, I, I was in the locker room, and it was raining. And we're sitting there. Ricky Van Asselberg at the time was the manager. It was literally raining in the locker room. <laughs> it was raining outside, and there was, you know, you know, there, there was holes in the roof and everything else. And you know, here I am, you know, telling El Demaro that we're signing him and setting up to a ball and. 
you know, now, now he's a big part of our major league roster. So, you know, we have two guys who are big contributors on our major league roster that came right out of independent league baseball. And it's just, it's such a, a, a huge thing. And it's a kudos for, for, for independent league baseball in general that, you know, it shows other teams that they're there and that this is, this is the way to do it. You find a player that's better than what you have, you sign them. If you don't, you're doing yourself an injustice and the player an injustice. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that I think um, is, is a common, I guess it's not a knock, but I think a lot of players in independent baseball seem to lack a tool, like a key tool that prevents them from either getting back into any ball or that was exposed in affiliated ball when they were originally drafted. Um, you know, like I had a teammate who we went to some tryouts together before I ended up getting a chance. He never did. He hit like 20 doubles in college. He was very fast for being like a six foot, 215 pound, like well-built guy, um, but he didn't have the arm strength. So he could only basically play first, but he didn't really have like first baseman kind of pop. So when you looked at him, he was an example of a guy who didn't really have a position. He, he wasn't like a middle infielder. He was like a first baseman, but didn't quite fit at first base. So can you speak on the, the, the tools and how, I mean, cause this comes into to, to D1 recruiting. I was talking with another friend who was talking about a, a really good D1 hitter, a guy who's who's tearing it up. He was tearing it up at the Division One level, but this guy also just like can't play the field, just like just can't um, at that level. Uh, how, how important is that? And obviously, like when you find a guy who just like doesn't have a position, does he have a chance to keep going? It's tough, especially, you know, with a guy that doesn't have a position, you know, us being a National League team, you know, so it's it's hard for me to take a chance on a guy that doesn't have a true position. But, you know, again, if we'll try it, we'll, we'll try to sign a guy. We've done this before that and, and experiment with him at different positions. You know, back to, you know, David Peralta was not a very good outfielder when we first signed him, but he developed into one in time. So we look for guys that are, are coachable, that are teachable, that can, you know, uh, and, and let's face it, we're always looking for athleticism. Yeah. And athleticism above it all, you know, it can make up for a lot of warts. Okay. The, the big thing that I find with the independently players that don't make it is the tool they lack is instincts, um, the, the feel for the game, the ability to make quick in game adjustments. Those are the guys that typically don't get out. And I, and you see them all the time. You'll see them at a tryout. You're like, wow, this guy's, you know, built like Tarzan. He runs so well. He's got everything, you know, tool wise, but it just doesn't equate out in a game. Yeah. And you, unfortunately, you see that quite a bit. And, you know, those are the guys that burn you a lot of times because it, they, they generally don't develop instincts in time. You know, you can teach a guy, and you can't teach a guy how to run either, but you can you, you can teach a guy that's athletic with instincts how to really play this game. But if they're lacking those things, it's very hard, very hard. Yeah, Chris, is. do you see more, and I, I felt like I saw it with the guys that we played with, you see guys that that always have a story, right? Like there's a reason that they, that they end up in independent ball for, you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, if – if you're an independent ball and you're performing, I think that that's, that sticks out as much as anything, you know, tools, there's guys that I can remember being on a team with uh, Jim Hoey. And if you remember Jim from, you know, the twins days, I mean, he's, he's throwing upwards of a hundred, you know, any, at any point, like everybody's got something there at, at that level that, you know, especially if they played an affiliated ball, somebody saw a tool there, but in an independent ball, you kind of get the benefit of if you're performing well, you have a chance because that's, you know, you're proving yourself on a, on a large stage, on a, on a very talented stage. I mean, how much is it when you're looking at these guys, is it the performance 
you know, or is it all performance? Is it is it some performance, some tools? I mean, what you know, what are you specifically looking at when you're when you're at it in the game? You know, it's tools, performance, and stats. You know, I, I, I joke around because some players will be like, do stats matter? I'm like, hell yeah, they matter. Yeah. You know, you've got, it means you're you, good you at know, baseball. It, yeah. Absolutely. It's it's how we're judged, you know. So, you know, you, you've got to look at those three components. And, you know, now sometimes you'll take a chance on a player maybe that didn't have the best statistical year. And, you know, one of the things we do a lot of is we look into the players from a statistical standpoint as much as possible. And we have a great – um, uh, just saber staff that really breaks players down and you know helps us as scouts out a lot and says, hey, you know this is the reason why you know he, he was he was getting hit you know uh, when he throws a hundred or or this is the reason why he doesn't have a good secondary pitch or what have you. So you know to answer your question, we try to break it down, but you know when we're when we are scouting a player again, we're normally putting him on a pedestal of where he can help us perform. So you know for instance, David Peralta when we signed him. We knew at that point he could at the very least help our high A club, okay? Gotcha. At the very least, because we want to win championships at our lower levels as well, too. You know, we're an organization that believes that, you know, it, it is development, yes. But we also want to teach these guys how to put a ring on their damn fingers at the end yeah. of the year. It's just nothing yeah. like that, as we all know. You yeah. know, there is nothing cooler than winning at the end of the year and developing them while that's happening. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things players seem to lack these days is like they don't they don't know how to win. And like you yep. said, when the game starts to really get heavy at the end, how do they compete and show what they can do? You know, like pull out you know a, a rally in the eighth or ninth off their closer. I mean, that's like you said, that's something that you probably can't really teach, right? It's tough. It's tough to teach it. But I, I'll also say this is that I think when a player goes to independent baseball, especially a hitter, now that has to go out there and some of these independent league bullpens that they're rolling out right now. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll see video that Cash will send me and, you know, Sioux City will have, you know, three guys rolled out the seventh, eighth and ninth that are all blowing 95, 98, you know, and you're like, wow. You know, yeah. you talk about now as a hitter, you've got to be able to you know, perform against that late in the game. You talk about realistic, man. That's that's something that they're not facing some, you know, 85, 88 guy, you know, that's, uh, you know, they're going to be bagging groceries in a week. They're facing a guy that's a legitimate, um, you know, upper level uh, pitcher. So, you know, again, it, you know, I can't speak enough on how good the independent leagues have become over the years. And, and you know, Again, everybody has warts. Everybody has things they have to work on. But the level of play is so much better just in general because the, the, the players themselves get themselves in much better shape. I mean, I played independent baseball back in 1996. I wouldn't have had a chance to play these days. You know, these guys are so good. And they're, they're as you guys know, and they're, they're, they're so they take it so seriously that, you know, they're giving themselves most of the time every opportunity to get out. Yeah. So one of the things we, we chatted about in a previous episode was you see a lot of these guys tweeting themselves out and being a good advocate for themselves, whether it's on Twitter, like on the flat ground app, which is which is awesome. Or, you know, they're just hounding scouts. But a lot of times we see like, OK, here's a guy who's 94 to 97 from the left side and he's a free agent. Like, what's going on with you? And then you you look him up and he's got like a 90 RA from last year. And then you start to wonder, OK, like you said, we all have warts, we all have stuff we need to work on. But like, I, I feel like a lot of players aren't looking at themselves in the eye and saying, I throw 94 to 97. Maybe I need to shut down the way to ball stuff and actually try to be a better pitcher. I mean, do you, do you feel like there's a trend? Do you see a lot of guys that just have that where they have the raw 
ability, but they're just like, look, you're 26 and you can't get guys out. You get a lot of delusional players in this game, you know, and, and while I'm I'm totally honest with a player, I always tell them if it's still in your heart, you can still go do it, keep going. But at the same time as you'll get a, a, a player that will call me and they'll say, hey, listen, I, you know, I throw 100, but he neglects to mention that, you know, he, he throws 100 at the top of the zone and, you know, has no secondary options, you know, yeah. and so. It, I try to, to, to and I'm, sometimes I'm a little in their face with them, but I try to do it in a respectful way as well, too, that, you know, listen, this is why you're here. Unless you fix the issue, you're going to stay here. So you've got to try something different. And, you know, if you're 25, 26, 27, 28, you know, that window is closing in a hurry. So you've got to make that that transition and make that 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 change sooner than later, or, or you're just going to stay where you are. And, you know, again, some guys get it. Most guys don't get it, okay, to be honest with you. But but the guys that do get it either go on to have longer, solid, independent careers or affiliated careers, but when they the others that really get it, they get to the big leagues. I mean, they, they do. And, and, you know, in this day and age, you know, with uh, Twitter and all that stuff, I'm constantly on uh, on Twitter just seeing who's doing what, who's putting themselves out there. I go to driveline a few times a year to see guys throw. Because I, I love to see a guy recreate themselves. And, you know, players do change. They do. Okay. It, it doesn't happen often enough. And it doesn't, you know, uh, always happen to the guys you want it to happen to. But you got to keep an open mind. And that's, I, I have arguments with, with friends of mine that are scouts all the time that are like, hey, I saw this guy on Twitter and, you know, uh, uh, you know what's he doing? You know, hey, I'm all for a player uh, out there, you know, put, uh, selling himself. Listen, if you're not going to sell yourself and say, hey, listen, I want a shot, who is? You know, your agent certainly uh, in independent ball is not going to be out there, you know, always, you know, advocating for you. You know, they've got, you know, other players they're trying to get, you know, who are in organizations already in the big leagues. So you've got to do it yourself. Get yourself out there. You know, what's the worst thing that can happen is somebody's going to say, um, you know, oh, that's, you know, he, he's self-promoting himself. I'm all for self guys, for guys self-promoting themselves. You know, so I, I, I look at Twitter. I look at I go to any workout I can. I love going to scout the Mexican League as well, too, in the winter, because you see a, a lot of guys that, you know, will go down there and they'll immediately say, I'm going to work on something in this forum. Because, listen, if I don't pitch well, they're going to send me home anyway. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So I'm going to try to work on a change up. I'm going to try to mix in a splitter. And, you know, a lot of times they end up reinventing themselves down there. And you can, you know, it's an, it's an exciting thing to see a player click and finally get it. I, I love that. To see a player after, you know, eight years in, a, in a professional baseball say, you know what, I finally learned how to spin a curveball. It took me this long, but now I've got it. So I look for that stuff. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about the, you mentioned the window, and I don't think people understand that, you know, you go to like where I, where I help out at the Chicago Dogs, there's guys on the team that people, you know, I have parents you know fans asking me that i know personally they're like man why is this guy you know why isn't he with whoever the white Sox, or why isn't he with the team he got drafted by and i said really i'm like you're not you're not understanding like the level like the benchmarks you want to hit you know as a prospect quote-unquote prospect and i go some of these guys are stuck behind guys i go some of these guys are just you know this guy's 30 like he's not a he's not somebody that is on the up He's on the down. Like you don't understand where some of these guys fit, and you know their their past resume will kind of dictate where they end up going if somebody thinks wants to take a chance on them. Well, you know, last year uh, the the numbers show you that roughly the age that a player gets to the big leagues and stays there is you know twenty three and a half, twenty four. Okay, 
you look at that age, okay, and you you st- take a look at, say, um, the Frontier League or American Association, and you've got a player that's 27, 28, you know, they're four or five years older than where mm-hmm. the player is that's in the big leagues now. So they've got to be that they've got to be that much more ready and honed to be able to jump right in and do those things. You know, it, it's hard to tell a player at 26, 27, 28 that we're going to give you a lot of time to get ready. We're going to develop you. No, you've got to be ready so we yeah. can plug you in. Yeah. And, you know, what people don't realize is the best way to get at an organization is to plug a need. OK, because there's a specific need that we have that we need to put you in. OK. And, you know, we've done that a lot. Hey. Listen, we, you know, uh, we, we've signed guys and take the American Association and we'll say, hey, you know, we know that you've played in double A already, but we have a spot in high A. Go there, tear it up and let's see where this thing goes. And, you know, inevitably, a lot of times they'll go there, they'll tear, tear it up. And the next year they're in double A AA or triple A. So, you know, players have to be open minded. They have to understand that, that you know, and sometimes, you know, they have to understand that they're, they're, they're this is a poor choice of words on my end, but a little bit of a second class citizen when they first go in there. And they have to prove themselves, and they have to be twice as good to get half as much as the guy who's already there. Don't worry. Know? We and, definitely always did feel like second-class citizens. Don't worry. And, 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 and let me say this. I have worked in the big leagues a long time, okay? And I've done a lot of things, and I still feel like a second-class citizen, and I love it, okay? Because I love the fact that I go in, that I came from a different spot than a lot of these other guys who, who were working our front office and other places came from. I enjoy that. You know what I mean? I Listen, at, at, at heart, I am uh, part of the island of the misfits, okay? I just get to have a little bit of a, of a voice in a major league organization to be able to fight for all those guys that are on the island with me, okay? I'm a damn misfit myself, and I always will be. So, you know, I, I'm always advocating for our, our class of people, you know? So. <laughs> um, yeah, so one of my questions is um, when you sign one of these guys, what is that process like? Because people, I don't think, have any idea of the inner working. So obviously there's a financial attraction uh, transaction like the big league club buys you know my contract and now i'm over there so what does that little process look like because you probably are i'm sure you're aware of isaac hess he was on our show a couple of weeks ago isaac got i mean like team said we're going to sign you took him had a physical they bounced him back out because he didn't pass because of his he had a hip hip replacement um but injuries uh aside what is the trans the, the transactional situation like well, first it starts out, we identify the player um, you know, we want to sign, okay? And uh, typically it'll be, say, we have a need or we find a player, cash calls and says, listen, this guy is really, really, you know, somebody that we should uh, sign right now. The next step is I will call that independent league manager, okay? I will talk to them, do a background check as much as I can from the manager, from maybe the um, player's former college coach just to make sure he's not a serial killer or something, you know, yeah. God forbid. Like I said, you know, you got to make sure that these guys are, are, are we're bringing in. Our, we had one of those our, on our team. I mean, we had well, some, we, we, I'm we sure you're aware of all the stories, but we had some very fascinating independent league stories. A guy was caught. I mean, it was not, we didn't have any serial killers. We had a guy who got like, we were in pregame in York, Pennsylvania. It was like the end of, I think my 2015 season. And suddenly one of our players like kind of walks off the field and, uh, some cops showed up because he was mailing himself boxes of amphetamine pills. It's like, oh god! It's like, okay, did you think that was going to work out well? But obviously, when you know, if you have an addiction, you're not thinking things through. But I'm sure you've heard all the crazy stories. But sorry, I didn't mean oh, to. Oh, oh. And, and by the way, that's going to be another book one day when I'm out of the game of all the crazy stories that I've seen. Both well, affiliated. Put me on the pre-order so, list because yeah, yeah, 
you need a quote. Yeah, well, I'm going to have to use you guys to get some more stories. So, cause, <laughs> but after I talk to the manager, then what will happen is I will um, uh, let the manager tell the player that we're going to sign them. Okay, because that is something and I was a former independent league manager myself. There's no greater joy than that manager who negotiated your contract with you, cultivated you, brought you in, tried to develop you, tried to be you know, more or less a brother or a father figure to you, being able to look you in the eye and be the first person that says, hey, listen, thanks for trusting me, because now you're going to a major league organization. Okay, now, during that time, I am when he's talking to the player, I am calling the. Frontier, whatever Frontier League it is, I'm calling their commissioner and I'm negotiating with their commissioner. Now, you know, and it's really not much of a negotiation. It's how much are you charging for the player? They give you the fee. We say, okay, fine, send me the paperwork. Um, and then, you know, and this does not happen a lot, but sometimes the player, you know, won't want to go to the level where you're sending them. You know, we've had it a, you know, a couple times, you know, where the player is like, listen, I'm playing in the American Association. Um, and I don't want to go to A-ball, you know, because I've got, you know, this great situation playing in St. Paul or um, playing in Chicago or playing. I, I don't want to go. And, and, you know, so you have to respect that and then move on and try to find somebody else. Mm. Or um, the player says, hey, listen, this happens 99 percent of the time. Hey, I'm ready. Thank you so much. Um, you know, and then the next part is I connect them with our player development people. We work out flights. We uh, uh, get them in for a physical. Uh, now, I've only had one player over the years actually fail a physical um, when we got them there. And, you know, once they fail the physical, the contract's null and void. Um, you know, I, I personally think, my personal opinion, I think most major league organizations are um, way too strict with their physicals when it comes to signing an independent league player. I mean, you know, God forbid you look at, you know, take, take me for a physical. I'm 45 years old and it would be ugly if you, you know, put me in an MRI machine right now. But most of us that played for a while, you know, our bodies are pretty beaten up. So, yeah. you know, we're, we're a little more lax, I have to say, on, on, the, on the way that, uh, you know, we view it. Um, if a player looks like he's, you know, he's going to tear any moment, then no, you can't, you know, sign him. But for the most part, you know, we give him the opportunity. We send him to that level and, you know, we let him have at it, you know, and uh, see where they, they go from there. And, you know, thankfully, you know, we've had a great track record. At the very least, that player helps us at the level that we put him at to win. And that's a success. You know, it, the only time we look at an independently player not being a success is when he goes to that level we put him at and he doesn't succeed. And thankfully, most of the time they do. Yeah. So one thing you kind of touched on earlier about being misfits, um, and I was, I can't remember who I was talking to about this, but one thing you don't see much in independent baseball is undrafted players from really high college baseball conferences. Why do you feel like that's the case? Because I think what we talked about before is that these college coaches at these higher levels say, "Ah, you don't want to go there. You didn't get drafted. Just you know, go get a job. You know, go go do that." Which is which is horrible advice. Okay, it's terrible advice. And you know, you you don't see enough players at the highest level giving it a shot because they feel, hey, listen, I, you know, I already played in the college world series and played in front of, you know, 20,000 people. Why am I going to go to an independent league and try to, you know, survive now? So at the end of the day, I, I, I think that's the main reason that they don't end up giving it a, a fair shake and they should, they should. I think it's a mistake on their part. I really do. Yeah. I mean, my experience was that most guys were good players from sort of like yeah. overlooked conferences, like small, like I was a small division one, Bobby was more of like a mid-major, but he was drafted by the Orioles, obviously spent time in affiliated first. But a lot of guys who were undrafted and never got a shot in affiliated ball were from a D2 school you'd never heard of or a NAIA school, but they were good players. And they were like, I never got that, you know, 
two, three, four, five thousand fan in the stands experience. And I want that. And I believe in myself and I'm willing to like give me a shot. Like, let's go. So it seems like that's more the attitude of of independent ball. And then obviously there's the guys recirculating coming from affiliated ball. Yeah, well, and I'm going to tell you this, is that, you know, and I've seen it, and there is one common denominator that, you know, that you see in every player that gets out, okay? And I'll say 99%, including the two gentlemen on the phone with me right now, okay? You've got to be a little pissed off in the world, okay? you got to be just a little bit um, uh, slighted. you got to feel like you did, you know, um, everything you should have. you, 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 you got to feel like you did everything you did to get signed and you still didn't. And I hate to put it this way, but you know, those guys that feel like they got screwed a little bit um, and are able to channel that yeah. into, um, hey, I'm going to prove everybody wrong and I'm going to prove me right. Those are the guys that make it, man. They, they are. They're the guys that make it. You know, I, I walk into a, a major league stadium to, to scout the Yankees and at 45 years old, I haven't played in so long, I still feel like I got screwed. And let me tell you, I didn't get screwed. I was terrible, like I said before. But at the same time, is having that chip on your shoulder and being able to channel it into something that's productive, man, those are the guys I look for. I love that. I love that the guy that says, they're not complaining and saying, hey, I'm here because I got, you know, screwed and, and I blame them. No, it's like, I'm going to prove you wrong and, and you know, and I'm going to prove me right. And, and those are the guys that make it. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, and the, the, to, to Dan's point about the, you see a lot of, you don't see as many big school guys. Like you don't see the the ACC kid. You see a lot of the smaller school, you know, whatever, wherever conference they were in. I think a lot of it too, and you could probably speak to it as a, being a former independent manager is if you're looking at two guys and you've got the guy from the SEC school that hit 280, uh, you know, playing third base. And you got the guy from the, maybe let's say division two school who hit 370 with, you know, however many home runs, like a lot of success. Like success matters, and at, like you said, there's guys that have success that have proven success are gonna get shots. You know that maybe they were overlooked at where they were at, but when you're putting together an independent league team, uh, kind of how I said before, like you're trying to win. So I'm gonna take the you know if I were putting the team together, like the kid who has eye popping numbers, regardless of the college, I'm gonna look at him and I'm gonna give him a shot and. You know, it's there's not to say that that Division two kid isn't just as talented as the as the SEC player. It's you know a lot of it is circumstance when you go to college and and people choose where they want to go to college essentially. So it's not like you know maybe that kid could have went to SEC school and he chose to stay closer to home or you know there's talent everywhere in baseball. I just don't think you know people realize that you you need to have success in independent ball. Like the managers do essentially get paid to win, so they're going to take winning baseball players. And I think a lot of these smaller school guys are winning baseball players. And, and you know what those smaller school guys uh, ha have a leg up on is a lot of times they played for four years, okay? Whereas at the SEC school, a lot of those guys had to sit for two and then only play two, okay? Yeah. And we talked about it before that, you know, in order to get better, you got to play. You got to play. And those guys that come from a Division two school or even Division three school sometimes or a low, lower level Division one school, they normally played for four years. They normally had success and they normally were able to know who they are as a player and be able to apply that in a game situation. So I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of getting those you know, lower level uh, college guys, getting them in, in and they they're end up being winning players for sure. Yeah. So you said your your job has has transitioned a little bit now. So tell me about your kind of new role with the D-backs and, and, and how that's changed. 
Yeah. So, you know, over the past, you know, um, I've been with the Diamondbacks almost 12 years now, uh, but over the past, you know, seven, eight years now, you know, my, my job has become more of trying to identify either minor league talent for us to trade for or major league talent for us to trade for or free agent signings and all that. So, I'm sorry, my dog is barking behind us. <laughs> She's probably found a scorpion. Go, you got to go see it. <laughs> yeah, they're out here running around having a good time. But no, you know, at the end of the day, you know, my job now is mainly you know geared towards helping to shape our major league team and helping to to um, find those holes that we have and fill them. And you know, listen, I'll do anything on, on any given day. I could be in a major league ballpark. I could be in a Mexican league ballpark. I could be in an independent league ballpark. You know, it just I bounce around quite a bit. Um, I'm blessed that the organization has enough faith in me that you know, normally when we're going to make a, a trade or a move, I'll be one of the guys that goes in there and sees that player and makes a determination on whether. I want them or not. And, you know, that's what it's all about. It's trying to fill those voids, uh, find those pieces of the puzzle that can make um, your major league team better and, or even your minor league system better. And, and that's what, it, again, that's what it's all about. Yeah. So I'm sure Bob's, Bob, Bob's our, uh, our quirky question kind of guy for the show, but I know I've got a couple. Um, and this one's not a quirky one, but there was a lot of hoopla about nets and there was a lot of outrage about putting nets on the ballparks. What's your opinion of putting nets on ballparks? How much should we put on? Did they put on enough? Uh, you've seen a lot of minor league games, and you've been to a lot of ballparks where the there might be very little netting and all that. I mean, can you share some stories? I'm sure you've got some, and, and what's your stance on nets? Yeah, I, I'm all for the nets they put up, okay? And, and I, I will tell you this, is that I don't think you should go to a ballpark and risk your life. Yeah. Um, and that was always my feeling, you know? And, and I, I, as a minor league manager or an independent league manager back in the day, I would always worry about my wife and young children you put them sitting the net, down the you? lines. Yeah, it, it scared the heck out of me. You yeah. know, so I always made sure they were behind. So I think in the minor league ballparks I've seen and the major league ballparks I've seen, I, I think you know for the most part the netting is getting much much better. Okay, it is. Um, I you know as scouts we look through the net all the time and it doesn't bother us. Um, so I always feel like why should it necessarily bother the fans? Uh, now I don't necessarily think there should be netting over the outfield wall, you know what I mean? Yeah, the, you sure. know, there's enough time and distance to move and all that stuff. And, you know, you kind of know what you're getting into if you're out there as well too. But um, I am all for the netting out in, in ballparks. I really am. Cause it's just, again, I don't want to see somebody go to a ballpark and risk their life. You know, it, uh, the ball comes off these guys bats so hard, so fast. You can't get out of the way. And, um, and, and I've had this conversation with a lot of my scouting friends and baseball friends. Some of them can't stand it. Some of them think it's, um, you know, ridiculous and, um, really? you know, should be able to, you know, get out of the way and, and all that. But listen, when you've got a, a mother holding a baby and that's the only seat they can say afford, you know, uh, that's down the line, you can't punish them for that. That's a yeah, strange that's, opinion. Yeah. What do you got, yeah. Bob? Uh, it, Baseball is weird because the people that love baseball, I feel like love the whole, the whole experience of baseball The maybe you catch a, maybe you get to catch a foul ball in your forehead. In your forehead. Yeah. Catch it because it's in your forehead. You catch it. If you're good enough, you catch it in your beer, but you you got the guys that are, are just the people in general that, that love getting to the park early. And if they let you in, watch batting practice. I mean, baseball is like a, you know, it's like a, you know, America's pastime. People love it. Like they love the whole ambiance, the outdoors, the, you know, you're in the sunshine, like day games are nostalgic for a lot of people. Um, 
I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not against the netting. I I, I understand. I could see where Bobby. Where do you? A, where would you sit Jenny Rizzo in the stands if she's coming to a game? Where Where are you gonna Where are you gonna leave tickets for Bob? I. You, you gonna leave, put her behind the dugout? Always, you gonna put her behind no, the dugout, you, or you gonna put her behind the net where she's safe? You put. You always put family behind the net. Oh, so so it's good enough for you, but the other fans should be exposed. Is that what you're saying? I just want to be clear. Yes. Well, there's some people I would put first row behind the dugout with no net. I mean, that's just beyond. I know there's people guys. like that too. Yes, I, I could agree. So, but it's just nostalgic. Baseball's nostalgic. You don't want it. Like people were up in arms when they redid Wrigley Field, and it's like, look, they're redoing the place so it doesn't fall down on your head. Like, relax. It's the same ballpark, and people just lost. So their it minds. sounds like you're for netting. I'm, yeah, I don't mind netting. I'm not. Here. I'm. I'm sitting. I'm sitting at the bar across the street watching the game on TV. So I don't know if it really matters. What what I think about the well, it's funny you mentioned the beer. I was in Fargo and it was one of my first. Chris, you know how close Fargo yeah. is very close to the. It was one of my first games there, and it was like early in the early in the game. And there's this girl, and you know, as a player, you don't know like you're just as a pitcher, you're just like on the rail, just looking around between pitches, whatever. For whatever reason, I'm like watching this girl with this like big beer, probably like a 32 ounce beer, just like walk into her seat, like two or three rows behind the dugout. And our hitter, I, I can almost remember his name, sprays a line drive, just really late on the ball. And she's just like, you know, shuffling through, excuse me, excuse me. And suddenly her beer just explodes <laughs> like oh, a like a nine foot. <laughs> and she does, she's looking down, getting through people, but it just hit it square in the center oh. of her th- huge, huge beer and just geyser. It was, in, it was incredible. No nice. one got hurt. She was just like, <laughs> what just happened? It was. Thank God it was she's amazing. okay. You know, I mean, it was a bullet. Yeah. It was a bullet. It was like 110 miles per hour. That's why when people, like you said, some of your scout friends, when they give that argument, like, "Oh, you should be a guy the way," you can't possibly have your eyeballs on the bat and the ball every moment of the game. And if it, it just only takes one. I mean, it's 200 what 270 pitches in a game on average from between both teams. I mean, so many it, foul it balls. It can happen at any time. You're right. Any time. You yeah, know, even dangerous. as someone who's engaged in the game, you know, you're 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 very closely watching. You look over, that could be it. Yep, yeah, that could be absolutely. It could be it. You're right, hundred yeah. percent right. I mean, so Chris, I got a I've got a question from a buddy of mine on Twitter. He he goes, he wants to know well, what do you think the percentage of guys who did the crossword puzzle at their locker actually knew the answers? And he goes zero. Yeah, he goes, USA USA Today's, I mean, it's just bringing back memories. USA Today uh, crossword puzzle all over the locker room, a half dozen of them. That and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and, you know, everything <laughs> else in there. But, yeah, most of those guys had no idea the answers. They were just trying to look smart. <laughs> you keep it in your locker the whole the whole week, same one. Same one the whole week, or you bring it on the road with you just to make it look like you did it. <laughs> just, no, I, I, I've seen those guys too, and you know, we we joke about that as well because we have scouts that do the same thing. So even in the stands, Chris, USA you, Today, yeah, yep, those are hard, dude. They're hard. Like they I, were. I think I'm kind of smart, but I'm not good at crosswords, and I just like don't even want to do them. They're hard. I'm horrible at them as well, so I'm with you. Chris, where do you fall on peanut butter and jelly? So one of my big things, and I'll sometimes put this in like a, a internet online dating profile. I'll sometimes put it in my Tinder or something and ask people because it helps me sort out the people that I don't want in my life. Um, what What is the standard peanut butter and jelly? What flavor of jelly? And and is it crunchy or creamy peanut butter? You know, I, I have to say this is, you know, I, I like any peanut butter and jelly sandwich because it brings me back to having nothing to sitting in a locker room, being so hungry days. and having 
four bucks in my pocket and saying, if I eat the minor league steak sh- sandwich right now, I'm going to be able to uh, have, you know, money for later for a beer or two, you know? So, I mean, I'll take it creamy. I'll take it crunchy. I'll take uh, grape jelly. I'll take strawberry jelly. But if it's your last one of your whole life, what's it going to be? Oh, oh if the last one of my whole life, it's going to be Wonder Bread, okay? It's going to be, <laughs> uh, um, it's going to be, uh, crunchy. Okay. And okay. it's going to be grape jelly. It's going to be really my man, how it my man. Good job. Know? So, so and, and that's what I remember from it. But, you know, again, I make myself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich every once in a while when I'm feeling down, you know what I mean? It, it perks me back up because it, it just, it brings me back to a time where life was much simpler and life was much more uh, about, you know, the day than it was about, you know, the accomplishment, you know? And uh, yeah. so I, <laughs> I, I think the world of it. Well, then it also, it also brings you to a, to the realization that you're not broke. Thank God. Yes. Thank God. Those things are, those are not fun. Yes. You guys are missing the slam dunk of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and then you toast the bread just ever so slightly. You got to toast the bread one because you get it. You need a little texture difference. And I don't two, because you don't know yeah. how, you don't know how old that bread is. Well, well, also, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. But also I always felt like the lock, that actually had a working toaster that was like big league for us it's a luxury I mean? that's a luxury for sure and, and by the way normally the toaster is like like 10 feet from the toilet you know you can imagine the bacteria that's on. which is why you got to nuke the bread you have yeah. to get all all options considered which you is, even a, point. You, <laughs> which is a great toaster. segue into yeah. bobby did you did you inject any sanitizer into your blood this morning a la our president's you know, recommendations we, yeah so dan and i any dan UV light to, any uv light no, into your organs uh, well i've got my spotlight on me and i feel like i'm not gonna ca- i'm not gonna catch anything under these bright lights mm-hmm. uh but i chris is probably in the best situation with the natural sunlight where he's at yeah yeah i mean obviously it's been less hit here and i uh, i don't i don't know enough about it to know of how much heat makes a difference but i will tell you i think we all have a leg up on any virus just being in a locker room where the carpets you know guys mold and you know 30 years old and uh you know it, it hasn't been cleaned in a while i think we're all probably immune to a lot of things other people get pretty quickly you know oh yeah this is true this is true sleeping i i slept in a clubhouse for uh in camden's clubhouse for two weeks oh. something like that Slept yep. in the uh, <laughs> in the training room where it was where I could close the door and it'd be dark, but there had to be just untold molds and mildews that I was inhaling and not uh, in hey, I, I lived in the locker room and I managed the Brock and Rocks in the Can Am League. I lived in the locker room there um, as all, a manager all, all summer long as a manager, and I'll tell you why is because I couldn't find any short term housing. And I, 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 li- I lived in the ballpark anyway, and, you know, li- literally and figuratively. And so I figured, why not just stay here? When my family comes to the town, I'll get a hotel. And um, we were at the residence inn when uh, when they came to the town. But otherwise, I just I slept on the couch in there. And it was it was actually therapeutic, you know, to be able to, uh, you know, just wake up, make out your lineup, be available for the players. And, you know, if they wanted some extra BP or whatever, and, you know. I, I look back on that now and be like, I lived in a damn clubhouse. It's it was amazing, you know. <laughs> yeah, my favorite was when we had a manager that did that, and I don't know if he lived there, but he definitely slept there. And he stole one of the "Do Not Disturb" signs from one of the hotels to put <laughs> on his office door, so you knew if he was sleeping or not, or if he went golfing early and came back for a nap. I love it. I love. Hey, Butch Hobson would come in and wake me up sometimes. You know what I mean? If we were on a, uh, if he was uh, playing us, but he was managing Nashua, and uh, he'd come in and wake me up at seven o'clock in the morning. So let's go get breakfast. You know. So, well, that's we, funny you mentioned Butch because he's he coaches the team that I help with in the in Chicago, and he's I love Butch. Butch is great. Butch is like the prototypical you know 
indie ball like manager. Like he he was made for this type of baseball. Absolutely. Well, I mean, managing against him was a treat. And, you know, getting to hang out with him is always a treat. So many stories, so much experience, so much care. Um, you know, he was a manager for us um, in a, right. for A-Ball Club a few years back. Did a great job. Uh, but again, you know, going to independently baseball as a manager is so much fun. Building your own teams, being able to, um, uh, you know, essentially hire and fire who you want. And, and it's all about winning and it's all on you. It was some of the most fun I've ever had. I always say at the end of my career, I want to go back one more year when I'm in my, my 60s or 70s and do it one more time. I tell Pete and Cavilia that all the time. You know, we talk uh, every few days. And, you know, to me, that that would be the most fun to go back and just try to strap it on one more time and try to win at a level that I have so much respect for. Yeah, it feels very pure at the indie ball level. That's funny. Absolutely. I, I don't know uh, Butch Hobson. I never played for him. And I only know – I have one story, which, and it's by no means is, is like a, I'm just going to tell it, but it was the all-star game of 2015. So he was the manager for, I don't think my side, but the other side. And so in like a, you know, pregame banquet or the previous day. Uh, so Ric Flair was like the celebrity that they brought in to, um, you know, like just be a headliner and like, at that the, was in the banquet. Wasn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was there. So you remember this then. So <laughs> Bush was up there giving a talk. Uh, you know, like his little five, 10 minute spiel or whatever. And people were all excited because Ric Flair, like Ric Flair's here, kept getting mentioned and people were going, woo, like from the stands. And people were doing that while Butch was giving his talk. And he was like, hey, you need to stop. And then, of course, like didn't know that he was like actually serious. People kept doing it like casually. like woo, And he's like, no. And it got awkward because he basically started yelling at people and the whole room got quiet and was like, oh, God, he's about to fight us <laughs> and he's about to fight the all-star attendees in the stand. That was amazing. Uh, I remember somebody telling him after the fact about that. And like, I had no idea. <laughs> Rick Flair was awesome that day, too. Yeah, uh, he's the, he's the best. He's got so many. I mean, he's been on ESPN well, a couple of times coaching the dogs, just getting tossed. And it's like the, the theatrics of it is just. He's, oh, he's, he's like he's he's as old school baseball as it comes. I feel like he still he could still strap it on if he really needed to and play. Oh, absolutely! He's all tatted up now and everything else. Oh, yeah. out there and do it, do what he needs to do. I, hey, I always say this: if I'm in a fight and I need two independent league managers, it's Incavilia and him. You know, so uh, I want those guys. You know, watching my back. So, but you but you got to make sure it's in season because once he goes back to, back home for the off season, he can't get in touch with them. He's only fishing and hunting. That's no, it. Yeah, no absolutely. cell phone. Absolutely. <laughs> well, so sure. I know you probably, you know, working for a major league team, you probably can't forecast too much. But like, what do, what do you see kind of coming from all this stuff? I mean, obviously, there's like the minor leagues, they're cutting some teams, you know, some of the independent leagues are reorganizing already. Um, you know, there's always like a minor or a independent league that's kind of shaky financially. I think all the, 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 the main ones like the Frontier, American Association, Atlantic League, those are all pretty stable. But like the Pecos League, which is kind of like another tier below is always pretty uh, unstable but um i mean wh- what do you what what do you see happening post coronavirus or what do you got going forward so uh, from an independent league standpoint i think you know as always it'll be survival of the fittest those guys that have the deepest pockets to survive will survive those that don't will go away and those that stay will probably thrive in this new baseball world where, like we said before, less affiliates, um, less, dra- less rounds of the draft, mm-hmm. and more. And even the price for the player that we purchase will probably go up some. 
Um, they're going to have to get through this year, which is obviously going to be very difficult. Um, and, and I've heard, you know, in talking, and nobody knows yet what's going to happen. I, I do believe this. I do believe there's going to be a major league season. I do believe um, there's going to be some form of a major league season. Whether there'll be an MILB season, a minor league season, I don't know. Um, and what that looks like this year, again, I don't know. Um, yeah. But I do think how, we as baseball people are kind of taking it upon ourselves when it's safe, and it has to be safe, to do this not only for ourselves, but also people need this. I mean, you know, uh, you know I, I have to say, I've never watched an NFL football game in my life. I'm sure it's great. You know, I'm just not <laughs> a, a football guy. I'm not either. Baseball is America, as apple pie and everything else. This country needs some form of baseball, and yeah. it needs it for their souls. And we've got to figure out a way to play it, whether it's no fans, whether it's um, a few fans, whatever we got to do, we got to figure out a way to play some semblance of a season. And I think Rob Manford and I think everybody in between will make that happen in some form or another. And again, when it comes to the independent leagues, I think they believe the same thing. I think they believe that they have to do it, whether it's even in the fall or late summer, some form of a season, even if it's 50 games, it's something and it gets it going, and we'll be there, okay, scouting those games. I can assure you of that. And, you know, and again, video becomes more important now because, you know, you're going to have to look at a lot of videotape and a lot of things on players to be able to kind of connect the dots. Yeah. So the world is really changing. You know, people have asked me, you know, what I've spent my time doing uh, during this pandemic and all this. But, you know, I'm up at 4 or 5 in the morning every day working on looking at video of players that I may not get that many looks at this season who may be good fits for us down the road, whether that be independent, big league, minor league. You know, I'm watching video. I'm working on my Spanish. Um, you know, I, I always wanted to be more yeah. fluent than I am in Spanish. So yeah. I'm taking time to get better. And, you know, I, I, I say this to players all the time. I hope you're not just sitting on your butts, okay, because if you are, you're going to be left in the dust. This is your time to pick up your market share to get your butt out of bed, to get going and, and, you know, focus. And when you finally get the opportunity to get out there, make it happen, you know, and, and I hope players are doing that. And I'm sure some will and some won't the way it works. But, um, you know, it, it, this is an important time and nobody really knows what the future is going to hold. Yeah, the American Association just put out that they're planning on starting their season early July. So what I took it as is, you know, 4th of July is always a huge day for baseball. Like that's going to try and be their opening day. But I was telling, you know, guys the other day that this is if, if there was ever opportunity for independent baseball to 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 make the next step into the mainstream or into people's consciousness like this is the year to do it. They have no obligation to, uh, you know, to TV rights. They have no obligation to, you know, to strict timeline. Like if they if they can start in September, then it's start in September, you know, run the season like you you have a chance to corner the the baseball world you know because major league baseball has so many other factors they have to consider and most importantly like the player's health you can't roll these guys out there you know one week coming out of their house uh after quarantine and say here we go you know let me see 95 but for independent ball i mean you know there's these spring trainings for these guys are two weeks tops so it's it fits the model of independent baseball and if you can get any semblance of a season even if you run it through halloween would they have to do it? I feel like I feel like it's a must for for just the brand that is independent baseball. 
Well, and, and again, you know, picking up your market share now, I mean, it, it took up a, it took a pandemic to be able to kind of put the independent leagues almost having a leg up right now on everybody else because of everything you just said. You know, you, you don't have the restrictions. You don't have the um, the player um, uh, restrictions that, you know, would hinder them from not getting ready in a hurry. You know, I hope independent baseball takes this and runs with it and looks at it as a, a platform to be able to really show what they have. Because, you know, in essence, if Major League Baseball, say, is not playing right now or then, you know, you could get independently. ESPN would put independently games on TV. You know, yeah. they, they would oh, yeah. more, more. I mean, I know the Atlantic League has games already. On the, uh, it was ESPN2 or something like that. But I think the other leagues could do the same thing and, you know, stream them. Do what you have to do to be able to get the American people that maybe don't know about you. And maybe the, the maybe it goes national as well, too, which would be really cool. See people in Europe watching independent baseball, you know, would, would be a lot of fun as well, too. So I, I'm, all, I'm all for independent league stepping up right now. Well, I've heard the Atlantic League is going to roll out a new rule change where pitchers have to throw every other pitch from uh, different arms, and then they can't and they can't wear shoes. So, can you comment on that? Uh, I have not heard that. <laughs> so that, that would be interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you've seen a lot. Obviously, you understand independent baseball better than anyone. Um, and the Atlantic League has done a lot of quirky things in the last couple of years that I personally, there's a number of them that I was personally pretty unhappy about, just knowing that. The players themselves, I know I put myself in their shoes. Like, how would I feel about this having to pitch from 63 feet, six inches, or the fact that you can't pick off to first base, or the stealing rule? Um, and I think there were a lot of, I just wonder how well thought out some of those were. And I know there's a lot of things at play, many of that I'm not privy to, like financially or whatever things are happening. But what, um, and I know you have, you have a relationship with, with all these leagues. So, but where do you fall on some of these rule changes? Are they good for the sport? Are some of them, Bad for the sport. He, he, and again, let me say this, and I voiced this opinion to the commissioners myself as well, too. It's not that I don't uh, or that I'm against um, uh, you know, fiddling with the game a little bit or, or, or trying something new. My biggest issue is trying to do all those things at once and putting the players at a, a real disadvantage yeah. um, in, in trying to showcase themselves. You know, moving the mound back, I was against them day one. OK, um, but I, I have to say is that, you know, the mound visits by a uh, manager, I was OK with that one. You know yeah. what I mean? That you, you, if you came out, you had to uh, change your pitcher um, or even a pitcher has to face three batters. That, that, that kind of thing I, I'm, I'm not necessarily against. But again, I'll say this. I was against rolling it out all at once. I don't mind them saying like, hey, listen, this uh, half the season, we're going to try these two things. And the second half, we're going to try these two things. But again, you can't move the mound back. OK. Um, I, I have to say, I did like the idea of the bases uh, because I've seen so many players get hurt on the bases, but they had those flat bases uh, that they utilized where hmm. almost like a, a softball base a little bit more um, where your heel wouldn't get jammed and all that stuff. I don't mind those things, but when you mess with the sanctity of the game, again, moving the mound back, things like that, 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 that upsets me. And I was, I was against that part of it. And, and I, I know a lot of the managers were too as well, but they couldn't say a lot. Again, independent baseball has to, you know, kind of develop a relationship and cultivate that relationship with Major League Baseball. And in order to do that, sometimes they have to be the guinea pig. And they were in this case. And, you know, I, I don't know how much going forward um, they're going to do it all at once because I think they did listen to some people like me and others who said it. Roll things out little at a time in small increments. That way you don't put the player at a disadvantage. Because let's face it, when you're hurting players, you're doing bad for the game. 
you know, and I know players yeah. that didn't necessarily want to go to the Atlantic League because of, of some of the rules that were in place, and they went other places. Yeah, yeah, some of those rules were extreme. The, you know, the the sixty two foot mound is is was the most baffling one to me. Just but just from a logistical standpoint of let's cut the mound out and <laughs> yeah. move it, but it's yeah. it's not just like like that rule affects every single level of baseball all the way down to like eighth grade. Once you start playing on a, on a major league field, I mean, there's uh, hundreds of baseball fields in my area in Chicago. Who's paying for these mounds to be moved back two feet? Is it, and, and who also who like, I'm ready to start a landscaping business. Cause I'm going to build some of these mounds and make a killing, yep. you know, the, yeah. It's Bobby's clay. Get is, Bobby's clay for your new sixty-two foot mound. Uh, the one, the, the you see a lot of rules, so like the rule changes, and you know, I the big ones in the are the no contact rules. I was a I was a middle guy, and and the my favorite part about being on first base, aside from maybe getting the steal, was breaking up a double play. Like that was the that was like the glory, like you, the. The hallowed ground. Like yeah, all. Bobby wants to. <laughs> Bobby wants to spike his competition, and he wants all the fans to get hit to, by foul balls. Like it's just it's, a bloodbath. Blood but when you but when you watch old games, like the best highlights are the ones where there is a little bit of contact. Like I want that. You know, we had Jeff yeah. Fry on on Monday. Oh, he'd spike you in, a, and he in a talks hurry. about stint. Oh, he'd spike yeah. me. In a, he'd spike me off the field. But you know, we're we're talking. We were talking about being in the batter's box, and and what guys that teach hitting don't understand is that little bit of fear that you have when a guy is throwing hard and playing the game, you know, if you're a catcher, that little bit of fear of, of catching the ball from the outfield is that you might get smoked. And when you're playing shortstop, it's okay. This guy got a running start on a slow roller to the second baseman. Like I might get thrown in the left field. I miss those rules. Like I, 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 I agree that it's like, yeah. it's like coat, you know, it's taking the, the edge out of baseball, I think, with some of those. I, I understand the protection and and Posey is the big reason that they took the contact rule out of home plate. And, you know, whenever you have a major superstar get hurt, everyone's going to be up in arms. Like, how do we not have this guy, you know, playing in the most important games? But at the same time, it's like, hey, this is like hard-nosed baseball. Like people back when Pete Rose played love Charlie Hustle. Like they love like running the guy over in the All-Star game. People love watching that. And I would like to see more of it. And it, you know some of those rule changes. I guess maybe I'm I fall in a, a minority category there. No, I'm I'm with you guys on that. I, I like the contact. You know, I really do. I always have. Uh, I certainly don't want to see players get hurt. I certainly don't want to see their sh- their career shortened in any way. But one of my favorite things as a middle infielder myself was when a guy was barreling down on you and you know dropping down your arm slot and oh, you know, throwing it yes. at his forehead to get him down. <laughs> you know, and you know. You don't do that anymore. Now guys just camp out, you know, and they just, you know, they, they take their time and they make their throws. And, you know, it, listen, in some ways the game has gotten worse. In some ways it's gotten better. And, you know, I, I do – I am a big advocate of a little contact and, and a little fear, and, and you know, when you're barreling down on a catcher. And, you know, it, I, I think it makes everybody better personally, you know, when, when you have that little bit of fear and, and a little – it makes technique more important as well too. Yeah, it takes away some of the uh, policing of the game too, you know, that – you know, guys, I'm not saying that you need to throw at guys or that it's right all the time, but, you know, you take out my shortstop, like, that guy comes up the next time, like, he's probably going to wear one in the back, and it's just, okay, usually... Yeah, like Astros, they should wear every pitch in the back, you know? Like, well, I mean, now you're now you're talking. That's That would be that would be more dangerous than uh, policing, the, you know, that's extreme policing. I think they're going to probably wear a few in the back, I'm sure, you know, the way that it's going, you know, but... You know, let's face it, you talk to some of the younger players now and they don't even 
understand that, you know, guys used to, you know, what chin music means. No. And, you know, they, they think if they got knocked down, it was just because the, the pitcher had bad uh, uh, mechanics or, you know, had bad command or control. But, you know, they don't they don't understand that that was a vehicle of intimidation and of strategy. Uh, and it's something that, you know, listen, I, I'm never going to tell a pitcher as a manager to throw at anybody's head or hurt anybody, but I certainly have told them, Hey, listen, you know, get inside on this guy, knock him down. You know, if you hit him, you hit him, you know, and, and yeah. you know, that, that was life back in the days, you know, now it's like, Oh my God. <laughs> Chris, you say back in the day, it's dating yourself. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, unfortunately <laughs> from the time, so my last year of managing was 2009 um, the game has changed a lot, you know, in say 10, 11 years, it really has, you know, I mean, some of the things we did back then, you would, you know, for, for instance, you know, after a game, you know, we would sit and have a beer and everybody would kind of hang out and, you know, talk and the older players would have a conversation with the younger players and I would talk to them and all that stuff, you know, in our minor league clubhouses, there are no alcoholic beverages allowed anymore at the minor league level. Um, and there are no, uh, none of that stuff. And I'm not advocating drinking and I'm certainly not advocating getting, you know, lit up like a Christmas tree, you know, every night. But at the same time is, you know, sitting, it has its place to be able to sit around, have a conversation, yeah, talk sure. to one another, you know, over a cold beverage. But, there used you know, to be kegs in the, in the. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, listen, at the end of a series, I remember Butch Hobson and I, you know, I would send a, a, a few cases of beer down to him or he would send them down to me and, you know, we would have a, a conversation about it. We were always looking out for each other, but you, you don't do that stuff anymore. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, I guess there's liability, but you're right. It's 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 culturally changed. Now, after the game, you get your smoothie and you get your energy beverage for the next day. You go do your, I don't know, kids these days, yeah. they don't know what they're doing. Hit the yeah, hot tub. <laughs> well, and that's something like I went through that evolution as a player. Like for me, I, I was the guy in college who just never had a day off from a workout. I ate the most, the healthiest food all the time. I was like crushing fruits and vegetables. And then in pro ball, you start to realize over time, it's like I can I can have a beer or two and still be 100% tomorrow. And I can enjoy my teammates a little more. And I can like go out once in a while. And, and you just realize because at the end of the day, that that's the stuff you miss and that you really cherish. And if you're always just like, I got to be home and get to bed as soon as possible. So I'm perfect for the next day. It's like, you, it, it's just like you didn't stop and smell the roses. And what's really a special overall experience. It's not special just because of how, you know, you had all your tools at 100% the next day. You can still be 98% and be just as good. And those like beers, that. those beers are the reason you were 100% the next day. You got to mellow, you know, bring yourself yeah, Chris, down. Yeah, do Chris, do you, do you have a chart for the sixth tool in your, uh, on the 28, 20 to 80 scale? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> they they got to be able to handle, you know, being able to go, if, you know, unless somebody has a problem and I'm not advocating, you know, certainly not yeah, advocating yeah, somebody, sure. you know, drinking to excess, but at the same time is it's nice to see a player be able to go out have a beer, have a conversation, talk about the game. I mean, we do that as scouts, you know yeah. what I mean? And you don't necessarily even have to have a beer. You can just go out and enjoy your teammates or, or people in the industry and learn something. I mean, that's the, we're, we're learning that way, you know, got to have yeah. a personality to play this game. Absolutely. No doubt. No doubt. Chris, are you a Wawa or a sheets guy? Be careful. Wawa, Be careful. For sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I yeah, love Wawa. Small. Yeah, no doubt. Love Wawa. <laughs> Save my life on the road. I mean, that's, those are those things too, where like, I can't tell you how many meals I ate either at Wegmans in New Jersey, you know, that yep. that amazing grocery store, you can get a legit healthy meal for six bucks or Wawa. Yep. And I get my chicken cheese steak with Old Bay and uh, buffalo sauce and spinach and get a pretzel. I miss and, that for sure. 
Yeah. When I managed the Atlantic City Surf, I had uh, I, I I was at Wawa every day, you know. So I I, I loved being down there. Well, like you so had you had some other you had some other temptations to deal with when you're playing in Atlantic City, other than uh you know where you're eating. I I explained. So I'm from Chicago. So I we don't have Wawa or Sheets. There's you know when I tell people like, hey, you can go to the gas station and get a they sandwich get made. They don't, they don't Not only do they not get it, they, like even the first time I saw Wawa or a Sheets. I go, why the hell would I eat at a gas station? Like, I don't eat at the subway at the gas station or truck stop. I'm not getting a sandwich made by the guy who's also just came out of the back, you know, <laughs> as he was digging his hands into the, you know. Oh, your brakes are done. Yeah, the <laughs> brakes are done. What do you want? Like, oh, how's the salami today? It's greasy. so true. So true. And, and, you know, I've had some of the best meals. They're like gourmet meals at some of these. Places. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> it's, it's it's better than it's like a home cooked meal at a gas station. And that people don't understand, don't understand that. Like you can do your shopping at a Sheets. Absolutely. And I have, yes, my weekly shopping. I've bought clothes, I've bought uh, hats, uh, gloves, anything you need. You know, it's par for the it's par for the course. Like, hey, you ask the guy, you ask the manager on the when you get on the bus, like, hey, we're we gonna stop at a Wawa. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I always just say to them, where do you guys want to stop? And they'd say, hey, let's, you know, two hours down the line, stop at Sheets, you know, so oh, stop yeah. at Wawa. No well, and, it's, and it's weird. It doesn't have like a name for it because it's not just a gas, like you wouldn't call it a gas station. Like that doesn't adequately describe it, but it's also not really like a convenience store. Like it, I don't feel like there's a, is, is there a term that like it's really? Like a, it's like a modified truck stop. I, I have friends that would call it a gasateria. Um, you know, mm. kind of like a you know a, a gas station cafeteria kind of thing. That's what they would call it. It sounds so unappetizing. <laughs> it does. It does. <laughs> that's that's crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, with the whole coronavirus thing going on, it's just there's just so much uncertainty, and, I, and you see it trickling down to the younger players. And um, I guess the question is, what do what do players need to be doing now? Because you said hopefully you're making good use of your time, and scouts are making good use of their time. Everyone's trying to make good use of your time, but what is, what is a parent? And I know you don't live in mu- as much in like the youth baseball world. Like that's not your world. But at the same time, you have kids. Like you grew up in baseball. Um, knowing where the game's been going, and how players are changing now, and I'm sure a lot of the stuff that's happening, and we've been talking about hitting Twitter and all the everyone's fighting each other about you got to swing this way, you got to swing that way. Lots of changing, and a lot of stuff that's happening today is probably going to be fleshed out and flushed out in a couple years. But what would what, what advice would you give to a, a parent who's got, say, a good 13-year-old and he wants to teach them the right way? Well, I, I'm going to say this. The first thing a player should be doing right now uh, and parents should be helping the players do right now is to remain positive, okay? Um, you've got to remain positive in this whole thing because, you know, if, if people are going to look at the glass half empty, it's a pretty bleak world right now. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, and, and I try to remind everybody right now, is baseball is not just a game. It's a therapy, Okay. It's something that when it's not in our lives, we're unhappy, we're depressed. And we need to use that as a vehicle to, to make ourselves uh, have some joy. And through practice and through anything they could be doing right now. Listen, if you're at home right now, even if it's push-ups, sit-ups, and throwing a ball against a wall, it is so important right now, not only for your, your physical skill set, but yeah. for your mental sanctity. And, you know, I worry more about the mental side for these young players right now than anything. Um, and I'm, I'm not, certainly not calling them soft because our, 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 our kids these days, you know, I have three girls. 
they've had to live through things, you know, that, you know, we didn't even fathom back in the day. Yeah. You know, I didn't, wouldn't have, if you told me there was a pandemic, I wouldn't even have known what that would have been like. So, you know, I, I think they're having to live through a much different world than we had to live through necessarily. And I think, you know, remaining positive, learning how to utilize time and keep your mind off the negative is the most important lesson in all this. And the other lesson in all this is, you know, we as baseball people, we're gone a lot from our families. So how about taking this time to eat meals together, to hang out, to tell the people that are, are around you that you love them and how important they are? You know, I, I think 99% of the positive that's going to come out of this from a baseball standpoint is how we utilize baseball as an individual and as a country, as a conduit to bring joy back to our own lives and let that vehicle uh, bring us back to a time that, you know, we're going to get there where baseball's being played, popcorn's being eaten, hot dogs are being eaten. We're going to have our peanut butter and jelly sandwiches again. And, you know, we're, we're going to get back to, to some form of normality. And, um, you know, and, and again, I think that's the important thing for the parents right now. Uh, but I also think what a great time for a player to learn something new, okay? And, and to, let, let's say a player struggles with their backhand, okay? There's yeah. a million YouTube videos out there with 20 different ideas on how to do it. Watch them all. Try them all. See what works for you. What works for one person doesn't always work for another person or vice versa. So, you know, take this time and use it wisely is, is my recommendation. Yeah. Bobby, what have, what have you been telling your parents to your academy? I actually just sent out an email this morning because um, we had I had some good news to tell everybody. Uh, and we're moving facilities and we're upgrading facilities like we're moving into a, a more conducive training facility for uh, for my youth program. Um, so that's I, I got to give some good news. But, at the, you know, I send out daily workouts through my Twitter uh, handle for the for the parents. And, you know, parents I had parents call me yesterday and ask me because Illinois was just. Uh, informed yesterday we're going to be stay in place until May 31st. Um, and parents are asking me, what does that mean? As I said, like, I have no idea. Like yeah. I, I, I know about as much as it... <laughs> Dan, sorry, Dan's putting his mask on. I'm distracted, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but I know about as much as, as you do. Like, I'm just taking the lead of, you know, as much as I want to say like, Hey, enough's enough. Like it's, we've been in the house long enough. Let's get outside. I can't, I can't, uh, you know, override the government, the governor. I can't, you know, the parks aren't open. You're going to be Chicago uh, mayor, Bobby. You could make these decisions. When, when I, when I am the mayor of Chicago, these decisions will be mine to make. Um, and we'll, and I'll go head to head with the mayor or with the governor, but mm -hmm. you, there's no, I don't have answers. And I, it, the, the positivity thing is, is the, is the best, you know, take some time. I know my, uh, one of our coaches and one of my good friends is a, is an A ball pitching coach with the Rays. And they're they have to take their Spanish classes um, over this time, and that's you know I'm on the Duolingo and doing you know 15 minutes a day. They tell you, you know, you'll learn a language, and I'm I I'm confident I'm not learning it. So I'm just maybe <laughs> I'm just not that sharp. But it's you know you do something else. You know there's there's plenty of there's push-ups to be done. There's there's games to watch. You can learn something new what during this time. And and to your point, these baseball lifers that don't get to spend any time at home. This is uncharted territory to be in the, you know, close to the end of April and still at your house. Yeah, I didn't even know what the weather was like in April here, you know, because I'm always gone. You know what I mean? yeah. so, it's you know, nice. I'm, it's nice. Already, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we're, we're making the best out of it on this end and doing what we need to do to get better. And I hope everybody else is too. Because like you said, there's nothing we can personally do about it right now. Yeah.
Yeah. So, you know, Chris, the, so I know, we appreciate your time and uh, you don't want to keep you too long, but the, the one thing I wanted to know and I wanted to, you know, put out there for everyone is, is in your opinion, if you're a, if you're a college senior or if you, you know, you've got maybe one year of uh, affiliated ball, you got released, you know, what's the best way in your opinion to get to independent ball? What avenues would you take if you were a player, you know, how much, how much contact should these guys be making? I know there's a lot of guys and I struggled to, you know, myself knowing what to do, trying to get into independent ball. You know, what's your best advice for a guy that wants to get into indie ball and, you know, potentially play professional baseball? You know, my, my advice is always from an independent league or even major league standpoint is use the buddy system. Most of us have some friend that is already in an organization, whether it be independent or um, uh, affiliated and, and ask them, hey, would you mention to your manager or a scout? to take a look at me yeah. and, you know, to, 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 to talk to me. And normally, especially if that player who your friend, who's your friend is pretty good, that manager or scout will talk to you. And, you know, that's the way to get in. Utilize the buddy system. Uh, shoot an email out. Um, uh, ask, hey, can, can I come there and have you take a look at me? When is your next tryout? Um, uh, you know, what winter league do you guys scout? You know, yes, I'm going to try to get into that one. Um, you know, communication is huge when it comes to getting yourself picked up. And so many guys, they sit on their butts. And, you know, I, I wrote about it in my book, Sign Me, is that, you know, you, you can't sit back on your heels and get and expect to get signed from your couch. you got to get out there and contact anybody and everybody you can in order to be able to make a, a, an in. And, you know, I'm always happy to help. I send emails out all the time. Um, hey, this player contacted me. These are the reports we have on them from college. Uh, might be worth taking a look at. Might not, but, you know, here it is. You know, they put it in their hands. So communication is key. Utilizing the buddy system and just getting your name out there any way possible. And you know what? We brought up the league before. The Picos League, as low level as it is, still gives a player an opportunity to play. And, again, you're not going to get signed from your couch. So you got to get out there and you got to play and take any form of baseball you can and independent or otherwise, and get going and get playing. Yeah, I think guys are always nervous uh, to reach out and touch base with people and, you know, ask you know, I was, for yeah. something. Yeah, ask, you know, ask for help. Like, hey, Chris, can you – you're a manager of Atlantic uh, Atlantic City. You know, what's what's the situation? Can I come try out? Can I, you know, can I get in front of you? And I think, you know, just knowing Butch and the guys I played with in Indie Ball, like those guys are so receptive of people reaching out. And – Nobody's, you know, I've never once seen an independent manager take a phone call or get a text message from a potential player that wanted to play for them and blow them off completely or say, you know, F this guy, you know, we don't need you. You're not good enough. It's like, hey, we don't need anybody right now. You know, stay in touch with me or, hey, we're having an open tryout or maybe this team is looking for somebody. You know, everybody knows everybody in baseball. And if you don't make contacts and you don't reach out, you never know. You know, there's you should have zero shame in trying to promote yourself at least, you know, get in front of people. People are a lot nicer in the game than, 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 you know, they get credit for a lot of times. And, you know, there are a few guys over the years that are just rough and rough and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yell at players when they call. Uh, quite honestly, that's why those guys aren't in the game anymore and they were jerks. So, you know, the majority of people are really receptive. I, I get an email at least once a day, sometimes 10, 20 times a day, depending on the time of year. Hey, what would you recommend? What, what, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? I'm happy. I get back to everybody as soon as I can. I always send out emails. I always try to point them in the right direction. Sometimes I can help. Sometimes I can't. But listen, we're, we're all in this boat together and nobody's going to yell at you for trying to better your career. Yeah, for sure. And that's I mean, I've, I created a YouTube video about this um, 
I guess it was probably a year ago. And you know, Ryan Quigley got signed. Yep. Did you sign Ryan Quigley? No, I did not. No, no. But he got signed a couple times out of independent ball. We were similar players, and he was a really good advocate for himself. I mean, he hounded teams, sent tons and tons of emails. And um, as I looked back at my own independent career, I was like, mm-hmm. I, I didn't feel comfortable doing that. It's a big regret. And I filmed this little video. I actually cut myself and I was talking to myself on the couch. Really, it's trippy. But if I could go back and give myself advice, it's exactly what you just said and exactly what Bobby said. Like, advocate for yourself. Don't be shy about it. Because the worst thing that happens, they don't respond. They just delete the email, like whatever, you know. And but I can't wait to watch that. I'm going to watch that. That sounds. I'll like, send you know, it to amazing. you. It's, it's it's trippy. Please but, do. <laughs> um, Please. But, but Chris, thanks so much for being here today. Um, obviously, everyone listening, uh, this is a, a really fantastic talk from a, a a side of baseball that you don't really hear that much about. The indie leagues are there's like kind of like a, a little bit of like the dark web of of baseball, but it's not, it's, it's like good the baseball wild West. and it's, and it's, it's great. So if there's a team near you, you should go check it out. Chris, tell us a little bit more about your book. So sign me the undrafted baseball players guide to the independent leagues. Where can people find it? And, um, what do you got for us? Yeah. You know, it, it's an easy read. Um, it's a, uh, you know, a hundred pages. It's certainly not Shakespeare and it's uh, but it's just written from the heart and it's, uh, it's available on Amazon and, uh, Kindle. And, you know, it's it's something that is what and is and was a labor of love for me because I, I again, I just got so sick and tired of, of it not getting its due. And when I wrote it, obviously, I didn't know there was going to be a pandemic and all that going on and how important now people yeah. have to know about independent. Absolutely. Baseball right now. They, they don't have any choice. They have to do it now. So, you know, I I think it's a, 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 a well worthwhile read for sure. So, yeah, that's, you know, I'm obviously biased. Well, if you're a college junior, you're a college senior, you're a parent with a college baseball player, you should absolutely pick that book up because, again, you want to have the facts and you want to know if your son wants to keep playing what their avenues might be. Like I went through it. Bobby went through it. But as we get farther out, we're a little more out of touch. We don't have the context. Like We don't know what's the current situation. But obviously, Chris has been a lifer in this. So really highly recommend you giving it a chance. So pick it up on Amazon. And uh, obviously, you know, Chris, thanks so much again for your time. Good luck with your scorpion streak. Um, <laughs> I imagine it will be broken at some point, but I'll keep rooting for you. It will be. It will be. <laughs> and, and, and I would love to come back uh, on again once we get going. If you guys ever uh, yeah, want to talk, sure. and, uh, can't, can't thank you guys enough for having me. Really appreciate it. All right. And for you all out there uh, watching today, thanks for being with us here live on YouTube and Twitter. And be sure to catch us on Spotify, iTunes, wherever else you listen to podcasts. And we'll see you here on the next morning brushback. Sunday.